In my family, we don't celebrate Valentine's Day. Kim, Kim is averse to it. Just kidding. I try to tell her I love her every day, but I don't know. Sometimes I tell her extra, and then I don't have to tell her for a couple days. <laughs> don't take marriage advice from the guy that's been married for three months, okay? <laughs> let, let, let's pray. God, we're thankful that we can laugh together um, because laughter makes everything better. And so, Lord, we pray that now as we open up the scriptures, that uh, whatever is going on inside our minds and our hearts right now, that you would just kind of silence that um, uh, so that we could focus on a word that you have for us this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I don't usually like to go off of the holiday schedule and preach sermons, but this year I thought it would be kind of fun because I've never done it before. This year I thought it would be fun if I preached to you a Valentine's Day teaching so, with that said, as every good love story begins with, I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Now, when has there ever been a time when, let's say, you're sitting with other religious people or other Christians or other Seventh-day Adventist people? Has there ever been a time when you're discussing an issue and then you say, let's go to the Bible to find an answer for that. And then when you do that, you realize, man, I wish Jesus was a little bit clearer on some of this. Because sometimes when you think about it, um, some of the stuff that you may say is in the Bible, and then you look for it, and then it's not there. And then you're just like, wait, but I was told it was. I remember one time there was a group of, of people, a small group of people. And these people were upset with this one girl for doing something she wasn't supposed to do. And so just sitting, you know, on lunch one Sabbath afternoon, this group of people said, can you tell us the Bible verse where it says that this is wrong? I said, I, there isn't one specific, I mean, I can't give you a verse that you want. I said, because it's not, it, it doesn't say it the way you want it to say it. I said, I could give you a verse and you could rationalize it. And you could explain it. And she's not going to fight you because there's four of you that are attacking her. You know? And I said, and second of all, I won't give you a Bible verse to use it like that. Because the Bible is not used, supposed to be used as a weapon like that. And there are times when we wish that the words of Jesus were clearer. There are times when we wish that Jesus would actually say something very specific about this one thing. But the truth is that most of the time, most of Jesus' discourse, if you look at the scriptures, is that he's mostly asking questions. You see, we talk about Jesus, and then we say, well, Jesus would say this, or Jesus would do that. The reality is, is Jesus really asked more questions. But there are a few things that Jesus did say. Now, the religious people, right, the people that... You know, they went to church every single Sabbath. They, uh, most of them paid tithe or gave what they could give. Uh, most of them were bringing live offerings to the temple. Um, people were, it was said that there was about 667 laws that people were trying to keep. And what would happen is the books of Moses, um, the first five books of the Bible had a ton of laws. Okay, actually the first five books of the Bible are actually called the law, the Torah. So when Jesus and New Testament writers talk about the law, they're talking about the first five books of the Bible because that was central for everybody. So there was, a, there was this thing where people had laws, and then the religious people, much like myself may, may have done, 
then I would tell you like a hundred more laws to keep so that you don't get close to breaking the actual laws that were in the Bible. Does that make sense? I mean, you hear what I'm saying, but it doesn't make any sense, right? But that's what people were doing. So then somebody comes to Jesus, a religious person comes to Jesus, and this is what he says. Teacher, which is the, great, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Because for religious people 2,000 years ago, what was most important to them was about not breaking the law. There was a belief that if there was at least one Jewish person who could keep all of the laws, then the Messiah would come. Don't know where that teaching came from, but that's what was being taught. So what you had is a ton of religious people trying to do all of the right things all of the time, and their entire focus was on doing the right things and staying away from the things they were not supposed to do. That was their faith. They may have spoken about God. They may have talked about a coming Messiah, the anointed one, as they would say. But their faith was basically just do the right things and don't do the wrong things. Aren't you glad times have changed? That was supposed to be a joke. I don't know who this guy is. That's my first time I've seen you, but you just left a good laugh. Thank you. <laughs> That's still the same thing we do now. Do the right things and don't do the wrong things. And so they said, Jesus, tell us, what's the most important law of all? And so Jesus, in his smart, eloquent way, says this. Or maybe just because he's God, he says this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and, or greatest and first commandment. See, they were expecting Jesus to say something like, you shall have no other gods before you, or you shall not use the Lord's name in vain, or maybe that, hey, because I rested on the seventh day, then you should, then you should rest, or, or maybe somebody was hoping that you would tell, you know, someone that you shouldn't commit adultery, or that you should respect your parents, right? We don't know what they wanted to hear, but they wanted to hear something, and Jesus says, the first commandment is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and then he says, and a second one is like it, you shall love your neighbors as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. If we had no Old Testament, this would be enough. Sometimes I wish we didn't have the Old Testament so that this would have to be enough. Because what happens sometimes is we get so focused and so caught up on on certain things that we forget that all God is calling you to do and calling me to do is to love him and to love one another. It's easy to love God, yeah? God doesn't talk back. God doesn't let us down. I mean, we may think he does, but God doesn't. God's always there. It's easy to love someone that doesn't talk back to you or yell at you. It's easy to love somebody that's always there. It's easy to love someone when you can look back and realize all the wonderful things they've done for you. It's easy. It's not always easy to love people, right? Because in our fallen nature, we are initially just selfish people. I don't care what you say. By nature, in this fallen world, we are selfish and we like to get our way plain and simple. And we fight 
to, against it. We fight against it because we know that that's not right and we shouldn't want our way, but the way we feel takes over and that's just the way it is. And so Jesus says, love God, and as a result of loving God, you must love one another. And when we use the word love, it's so ambiguous because we use it in so many different ways. I love pizza. It doesn't have the same connotation as I'm in love with Kim. But we use the word, and I think we use it so much that it begins to lose its meaning. And maybe it's time for us to recapture and reimagine what it means to love. And so I would say that, in essence, this is, and this is from me, if you love God, if you really, really, really love God, then you will not be able to help but love others too, without prejudice, without holding back, without judgment, and with no criticism. To love someone is to accept them for who they are and quit trying to change them. To love somebody is to not have a prejudice about them. So I'll have a quick story. I remember, um, I remember seeing a preacher one time, and I had seen his stuff online, and I had seen him preach well, on like a, a video. And, uh, you know, for me, I was just like, this guy, I can't stand him can't stand this guy. Who does he think he is? This is the conversation I had in my mind. And I mean, he was going all over the place. I mean, this guy, obviously he's good at what he does, but to me, I just couldn't stand this guy. And then God, the way God always seems to do things to us, I had the opportunity to spend time with this guy out of nowhere. It was unplanned. It just kind of happened. And after spending some time with this person, I realized, I love this guy. He's funny. He's real. Sometimes he uses bad words. I don't know if bad words, but last week I said a word that starts with C and ends with Y. And every, you know, I'm sorry, didn't know that was a bad word. Um, for my generation, it wasn't. But I apologize if I offended your sensibilities. But this guy was real. I loved him. I was like, man, why aren't you should be my best friend? I thought to myself. But what happens is I. I had a prejudice against him from the beginning, and I don't even know why. Has that ever happened to you guys? No, huh? You guys never judge somebody before you know them. Some of you probably looked at me and were like, not really liking what I see, but let's see how he is as a pastor. It's normal. It happens. But the reality is, is if we really love God, or at least we're trying to love God, if we're trying to connect to God, then there is no other option. But if you really understand what it means that God loves you, then you have no resource but to try and love others. Because if you are lovable to God, then you could at least try to love other people. Are you a hard person to love sometimes? Can you be? Yeah, especially when you were kids, I bet. But the reality is, if we really love God, then you would at least try to love others. And there's an expression with, with, which, with which I disagree, and yet sometimes it makes sense. What do they say? Um, fake it until it's real? Is that, is that what they say? I'm sometimes inclined to say, well, I'm going to pretend like I love this person in the hopes that I will one day. But this is not a new commandment. So Jesus was like, the greatest commandment is to love God, oh, and also love one another. 
which is, was brand new for some people, but the reality is, is that that has been the command for thousands and thousands of years where Jesus, now this Deuteronomy chapter 4, if you're a parent, I would encourage you, this is called the Shema. It was the Hebrew prayer that every Jewish parent in ancient Israel, they would teach this prayer to their kids. Okay, so this was central to them. And so it starts like this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is what Jesus was quoting from. This is what Jesus was saying. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. In another part of the scriptures, God says, I am the God above and the God beneath. There is no other. Sometimes I wish the Bible said a whole lot less. I think this is going to sound completely heretical. But I think sometimes, or I feel in my human heart, and this is opinion, that God messed up when he gave us a big Bible as we have. Because we have the tendency to focus on the stuff that is awesome, you know, and there's beasts and there's fire coming from heaven, which are all fine, but sometimes we forget the very simple teaching. I mean, if this was in the book of Deuteronomy and the first type Bible that we had, and then Jesus thousands of years later repeats it, I think that's what's extremely important for us to really consider. When you love somebody... You treat them a certain way. You talk to them a certain way. You spend time with them. You just do it. And God is saying, look, basically from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, focus on the fact that I am the God that is for you. I will always be there for you. There was a saying that kept coming up time and time again where the Israelites would say when times were good or when times were bad, they would always say your steadfast love endures forever. And I have found myself in my life telling myself that his steadfast love endures forever. When things are good, his love endures. When things are bad, his love still endures. And that has to be enough. I know it doesn't always feel like enough. But this God is the God who breathes life into you. And so he says, meditate on this day and night it says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and, you shall, and, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In essence, God is saying, this is so important, you need to be saturated with it. So there, I, I forgot to put a picture up here, but the frontlet, that's like a little box that has like the law in it. And they would tie it around their head when, when Jewish people pray. And then there's another thing that they tie around their hand that they do this to represent this. I mean, I've seen this done in person. They take it seriously, okay? People still take this seriously. And this was Jesus' or God's way of reminding people who I am. I am for you always. And in order for you to remember that, saturate yourself with this everywhere and all the time. How many have you ever seen a movie where it's a, if there's like a Jewish person in the movie, sometimes they'll, um, there's a little thing on their door, on their doorway as they walk out of the house and they always touch it or something. That's what this is. It's the Shema. 
It's, it's, re, it's a consistent reminder that there is one God and that he is always for us. And all we're trying to do is learn to love God well. And, in, and that's actually 1 John 3.11 says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Did you know that the Ten Commandments were given to a nation in its infancy? Okay, so we take the Ten Commandments now and, and we vote about whether it should be put up on a courthouse somewhere or not. Or we look at the Ten Commandments as something that we own. But the reality is when the Ten Commandments were given to the Israelites, they, they had just been freed from slavery. They had no national identity. They had nothing. I mean, they, they had no home. They had no land. They were constantly traveling. They, they had nothing they didn't have to know how to treat each other because they were slaves and all they were good for was making bricks to build Pharaoh's kingdom. And so God, in, in God's infinite mercy, he puts these 10 ways of living to help the Israelites learn to love one another. At its core, the Ten Commandments were there to teach us how to interact with one another in a loving and respectful way to use them in any other way than that is to rob the scriptures of its inspiration. And so, Jesus says from the very beginning, God tells him from the very beginning, all I ever wanted you to do was to learn to trust and love and respect each other. If you love me, that will come. But I have met some very angry Christians, have you? Have you ever met an angry Christian? That's an oxymoron. Or, or no, rather, have you ever met an unloving Christian? Another oxymoron. They're not supposed to exist. And so we go on. What's with this John 3.11 again? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. If you love, you are born of God. Now here's the opposite. Uh, anyone who does not know God, wait, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In essence, when you love somebody, you're actually giving them God. When you love somebody, you're giving them Jesus. When you love somebody, you are now an evangelist because that is what God wants from us. To be a witness of God is to try to love somebody, especially when it's difficult especially when it's difficult. And I'm going to read a few verses, so just follow with me, and then we're going to make some points. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Where do we get our life? Through our jobs, through our careers, through our cars, through our positions? No, actually, you don't. It's through Jesus. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. <laughs> you got to love that. For our sins. In other words, he paid the debt of our sin. How many of you, don't raise your hands, how many of you have a lot of debt and would just love it if somebody paid your debt? Right? The other option is bankruptcy, but that's an easy way around. And yet Jesus 
he pays your debt. Unfortunately, you still have to pay your monetary debt, but you get the point. When something is so heavy and burdensome, Jesus takes away the punishment of sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The, the bulletin says that the title of the sermon is God is Not Invisible. And the reason I say that, and I've alluded to this in the past, is for this very verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Real discipleship, to become a faithful follower of Jesus. Somebody, I'm sure, told you you have to pray and you have to read your Bible and you have to tithe and you have to give offering, 10% tithe, 3% church budget. We appreciate it all, of course. But somebody once told us that that's what it looks like to be a good Christian. And you dress a certain way and you say some words, other words are a complete no-no. And your Bible has to be worn and old and torn because it shows that you read it. And yet, the scriptures tell us, because the scriptures don't actually say those things, that to be a follower of Jesus, you have to read the Bible or pray. It doesn't say that. It talks about prayer. It talks about scriptures, but it doesn't, there's no formula in there that says this, what you have to do. And yet, when God speaks through John, he says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. For God to be present in your life, True discipleship is loving others. Now, some of you might think that's easy. That's too easy. Faith has to be a lot harder than that. If you think loving everybody is easy, then I will follow you. The truth is, it's easy to love some people, but the people that are difficult to love, God abides in you because when you disagree with someone vehemently, when you hate somebody, when somebody has hurt you, to actually love the person that has just torn you down, to love that person, you need Jesus. Amen? If you can love people that you should hate, then Jesus is alive and well in you. That's how you know if you truly love God. If you can love those that have hurt you and devastated you, and yet you can still forgive them and love them. Now, I understand this. There are some times, and I have to always give this caveat. I have to give this caveat. And this may sound uncomfortable for you. I hope not. But if you are in an abusive relationship, that's when God allows you to step outside of it. And you can send me angry emails about that. Love people that, that, that could be hated. But if you're being hurt physically or emotionally, come talk to me and we'll help you. I always give that caveat because I don't want it to be, you know, well, pastor said that, so now you shut up. No. God is there for us all. No one has seen God, but if you love God, he becomes a parent and abides in you. By this we know that we abide in God and he in us because he has given us, the, given us of his spirit. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. That's it. 
That's it. God wants to be a part of our lives, but he knows that if we can love someone that doesn't deserve to be loved, then he sees that we get it. Now, I know this is repetitive. I know that all of you coming in here this morning, if I just gave you the list of Bible verses, you could have gone home, read them, and understood I should love one another. But I had to go through this process to get across that we have to learn to love one another. Again, like I said, two more verses. For this is love, for by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have our confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear, where? In love. But perfect or mature love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. It's talking about judgment. If you love God, there is no fear of judgment. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Do you get it? The practice for you to really love God is by how you treat other people. The way God measures your love for him, according to the scripture, is how well you love people. Do you get that? That's why there's no such thing as an unloving Christian. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, now that we've talked about love and something you all know, I want to spend the next minute or two giving you one suggestion that has helped me. Obviously, it doesn't always work because I'm still human. But the one suggestion that has helped me, um, especially in the context of a church setting, is what Paul says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And this is how it works out. When you see somebody, don't focus on the negative. I know it's hard. But when you see somebody, look beyond the negative and see only the very best in them. When you meet somebody, you may not like the way their voice sounds or how they speak or how they look or how they dress, but what Paul says is, I've decided to know nothing among you or in you except for Christ and Christ crucified. So when you meet somebody new or you just know somebody for a long time and you feel vindicated to say, I don't like that person, I encourage you to see only Jesus in them because that is the very best part of all of us. The suggestion and the thing that I've tried to use always is look beyond the exterior and look within them and see the very best because that is how God sees you. If God thinks you're worthy of dying for you, then obviously he only saw the good stuff. Because if Jesus chose only to look at the bad stuff, he'd be like, eh, I don't know. That death on the cross with nails in my hands is going to hurt. But if Jesus sees the very best in you, the very least that you and I could do is see the very best in one another, and sometimes it means giving people a chance. Give people a chance, and God will bless that. And then I think there's one last verse. 
We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love lives in death. When you've been angry at somebody and you hate somebody or you just completely disagree with them and it tears apart at you, that feels like death, right? Have you, has, have you ever felt that? It's like death. It's like you're dying inside. And you, I could hate this person, but it doesn't matter to them. They don't care. But it's killing me. And so Jesus knows that loving somebody isn't just about loving and being a good Christian, but because Jesus and God knows that to hate somebody leads to your death, not to theirs. You see, we think that God is telling us to love people because that's what we're supposed to do. And you're saying, well, this preacher is saying he's giving us another thing that we're supposed to do and that we should do. But the truth is this. God tells you and I to love other people, not because he wants to make this loving, you know, utopia, but because God knows that if you love other people, you will not abide or live in, in, in hatred, which leads to death. So God knows that if you love someone, if you give them a chance, if you're patient with somebody, it's better than the opposite, which is hating somebody, which, which the scripture says, just, it just leads to death inside. The only thing worse than dying is feeling like you're dead, but still being alive. And so this morning, our Valentine's Day sermon <laughs> is very simply this. God is, not, God is not commanding you to love because he's some dictator up in the clouds. He's encouraging you to love because he knows that the opposite, hate, will lead you to your death. And God is a God about abundant life and life everlasting. And so when Jesus speaks to us, he tells us these things so that we can experience the best life, not the worst life. That's my challenge to you this morning for Valentine's Day, two days away. If you're married, buy her flowers, chocolates, whatever she likes. Even if she says she doesn't want anything, do it anyway. <laughs> Wives, I don't know. What you, I don't know what why, you know, buy him what he wants. We, us guys are kind of easy. We don't, we're like, whatever. Some of us. Don't ask my wife. Do the stuff that's meaningful to you guys. Do it. Go out. Go out to dinner. Treat her well. She's your wife. For some of you, she's the mother of your children. It's okay to have some fun. But when all that is said and done, remember, God calls you to love. Because the opposite of that will just kill you. Let's pray. God, we're thankful. We're thankful that you challenge us this way. But God, it amazes us that um, you're not telling us to do this just because, but because you know that it will lead us to a better life. And so, God, for those, um, for those of us who are having a difficult time with loving others, please, God, just take that away from our hearts. Right now, God, as we pray, this is not just an exercise, but God, we are opening ourselves up to just, we want to get rid of this anger and hate that is within us so that we may love others. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.